And my name is Paula Kamen. I graduated from the University of Illinois in 1989. While I was there, I was a features editor and an opinions columnist at the Daily Illini. And now I'm an author and a playwright and a freelance writer in the real world. For our 150th anniversary here at the Illini Media Company, we're sitting down with 20 talented and successful alumni to talk about their experience at the University of Illinois, the Daily Illini, WPGU, and the Ilio Yearbook. On April 9th, we inducted all 20 into the 2022 class of our Illini Media Hall of Fame. Paula Kamen is an author, feminist, reporter, and playwright. She's the author of four books on women, generational change, and health, including All in My Head, that discusses the challenges of navigating American healthcare while dealing with chronic migraines. Her latest book, Finding Iris Chang, Ambition, Friendship, and the Loss of an Extraordinary Mind, chronicled the life and death of fellow Illini Media Hall of Fame recipient and close friend, Iris Chang, who took her own life in 2004. Today, WPGU Program Director J. Sidney Malone speaks with Daily Illini alumna and 2022 Illini Media Hall of Fame inductee Paula Kamen. So I want to get started by talking about how you got to the DI and how you got to the University of Illinois. So what encouraged you to pursue journalism and what encouraged you to do that in Champaign-Urbana? Yeah, I always knew I wanted to be a writer, one of those people that that knows from like third grade on what you want to do. And and the Daily Illini was such a great opportunity or an outlet to develop that. I mean, it was it was huge, very professional. And I went in there freshman year and started to write features. So I was very terrified, but it worked out. I my first assignment was to profile a boy who did stunts like Evil Knievel, who lived uh, in Urbana, I think Zebo. So we went, so that was a fun thing to do. And yeah, and then for the next three years, I mainly wrote features. And then senior year, I was a features editor and opinions columnist. I got into more serious issues. Yeah, I have looked at uh, you know some of the stuff that we've found the archives of of writing that you did and and just general topics. Um, and I was really interested by uh, a couple of the stories that you wrote. One especially is this story about an abortion clinic. Uh, and I think Gwen, who profiled you for the DI, had mentioned uh, or, or had talked to you about this story. So I want to kind of hear this, the, the story behind the story, right? Uh, like, how did it happen? Well, yeah, I want to clarify, I know this is very confusing, that these actually are made to look like abortion clinics. They're called CPCs, crisis pregnancy centers. So people, so, so women who are pregnant would go there thinking it's a clinic, but it's really a front for anti-abortion propaganda. So so you, so you a woman, say, who's, who's pregnant gets there, they, they do provide the service of a pregnancy test, So so which was not as easy to do back in the 80s as it is now, you know, where you just go to CVS or Walgreens. They started just mushrooming all over the country. There's, there's probably thousands and thousands of them. And then there was one that opened in Champaign-Urbana. They were advertising in the da- Daily Illini. They had like flyers up. Um, so so like I said, it was, it was like impersonating an abortion clinic. And someone from the pro-choice group approached me. It was her idea that, that she poses somebody who thinks she's pregnant. And I'm like her supportive friend. So I was, I was nervous, but it sounded intriguing. And 
and then we went there and then yeah, sure enough, she gave us a lot of propaganda that was very untrue, you know, um, about risks of becoming infertile for the rest of your life if you have an abortion or, or you know, extremely high risks for cancer if you have an abortion. So, so all that was exaggerated. So then yeah, I did a magazine article. You know, yeah, we had the magazine back then about it. And since then, yeah, if you look up crisis pregnancy centers, yeah, there's been a lot more coverage of it. That's when it was more brand new. And I can kind of see the effects of that sort of a story in a lot of the rest of your career. So how did your time at the DI prepare you for what you did after you graduated? Yeah, I, I got much more into serious issues before I'd always seen myself. I had like a humor column, I think sophomore year called The Light Stuff. It pushed me to, to uh, when I got the opinions column, I'd think of what I wanted to talk about. And there were a lot of women's issues just not being covered. And then immediately just giving an opinion about something very non-controversial, you know, like by talking, there was a new dialogue about sexual assault on campus that might happen with someone you know. So that was, uh, and I wrote a column about that immediately. I was labeled a feminist and I denied it because I thought it was a terrible thing. And then I thought, well, and then I got sort of scared. Like I thought, well, maybe I'll just stay away from women's issues because I don't want to be labeled. And then I realized, well, this is what keeping women down and speaking up for their rights because they're afraid of being labeled. And, and then I, I wrote my first book right out of college about that called Feminist Fatale. And it was it was noted as like the first of Generation X feminist book or, or about people's views of feminism and the stigmas about it and what's keeping them from speaking out. So yeah, yeah it had an extremely direct effect with that whole book. The first book was based on the Daily Illini experiences. Yeah, and thinking if I had all these stigmas, didn't want to, it was, it was scared of speaking up, then, then it was probably a common um, phenomenon. among our generation. Yeah, that's incredible. Never, uh, I guess, uh, the uh, concern about being labeled a feminist, not really a concern anymore for you, huh? No, no, definitely not. But, but but it was like weirdly scary then because, yeah, I didn't know that much about it. This this next generation or the next few generations, yeah, are much more bold in standing up for their for their rights too. So yeah, yeah, just with the culture, it's less of a stigma too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned your humor column senior year, and I wanted to ask a little bit about that as well. Yeah, I, I've heard that it, it gained some popularity, some fame on campus. Um, but having a column uh, is a big responsibility at the time that you were in school, uh, when the DI was really the only way that students communicated with other people. How did that feel? And, and you know, what did you get out of that experience as a columnist as well as what did you put into it? A good question. Or I actually had a humor column sophomore year, but yeah, it was senior year, the opinions column, which was like the life changer. Yeah, it, it taught me a lot about having a thick skin. And you know, when you speak out, even if it's something not that radical, you're going to get you're going to get criticism, even personal criticism levels. So that was before the internet when giving your opinion in public was like a more rare thing. Um, so, so yeah, it did teach me to have a thick skin, which you have to have whenever you give your opinion in public and, and to think it's okay if not everybody likes me. So, so yeah, I didn't even realize like how much you're brought up to have, to have everybody, you want everybody to, to like you and not you make waves. So that was a big uh, initiation into that. 
Yeah, absolutely. What kind of, I guess, what did you take from it into your time working as a professional after you graduate? Uh, you mentioned having a thick skin, but uh, some examples maybe. What, what uh, you know, you, you, you're out in the, the professional world and you think back, well, I'm glad that I learned this at the DI before having to go out here. Whenever you write about your personal life, you get attacked personally. So yeah, I've been able, yeah, it's not fun, but uh, or, or there'll be reviews of the book instead of saying what what's wrong with the book itself. It's like more like what's wrong with Paula K. <laughs> so I've had, yeah, you know, or I've always written about more provocative topics. So then you're, you're, you're going to get mixed reviews. But yeah, yeah, that prepared me. And then j- just the very high ethics and standards to that when you're out in the real world, there's basically almost no one telling you to get the... If there is another side, get the other side of the story or triple check the fact. Yeah. And, and that was also from the journalism school at the U of I, where I have some of my professors still like in bubbles around me saying, did you check that fact or did you spell that name right? Or um, a big thing was, was to leave your comfort zone. There was a professor, Bob Reed, who was well known. His thing was to leave your comfort zone if you want to grow as a reporter, as a writer. So, yeah, but, so for the example of going to that crisis pregnancy center, that was definitely leaving my comfort zone. Yeah, yeah but all those lessons still, like I said, the voices in my head are still there from uh, the 80s at, at the Daily Illini and at the College of Communications. Yeah, absolutely. The old adage of if your mother tells you you love, she loves you, then check it out, right? Yeah. And they they were, they were harsh where where if, if you spelled a name wrong you can get like an f from a whole assignment so yeah, yeah they really drilled it into us so over your career you've worn a lot of creative hats yeah, you in your introduction of course playwright and author you've been a journalist you're a writer which one is most comfortable for you or maybe your favorite or does it kind of seem all one job yeah, they all build on each other that I've been more into playwriting lately, but it builds on on the journalism background in that when I write something, I want it to have social relevance and sort of be in dialogue with other with other conversations going on where it's not just purely about me and getting my like expressing my feelings but it's also um, it, it writing about things that have that, that have an urgency or so- social relevance and looking beyond myself and uh, yeah the playwriting is the most fun definitely to, just to have people to have to have that kind of collaboration where, where I still get to ha- get to have custody over the words but then you have like actors and directors and lighting people who like transform everything to a whole different level so to have all these different talent come together it's a very cool experience but yeah it's it's a really hard route to go yeah absolutely you mentioned having uh, kind of societal expectations and and a duty to uh, culturally important topics. Uh, and more on a serious note, I wanted to ask you about your work um, writing Finding Iris Chang, because I think uh, anyone that knows your work knows that that's probably the thing that you're best known for. And I want to ask you about w- uh, what your process for producing something like that was and what it's meant to you having uh, such a, a deep and, and serious connection with a subject of a story. Uh, yeah, 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 that obviously was another book that came directly from the Daily Illini. Um, um, yeah, yeah, that I, I had, um, I had been friends with Iris, although a little skeptical of her, because she was always like a step ahead of everybody and her ambition. And if there was an internship that would come up, she'd be the one to get it. 
there's almost no, no internships or no opportunities, but whatever crumbs there were, she would get it. Um, and, and then I decided instead of being skeptical of her to use her as an inspiration. So I started to use her name as a verb to Iris Chang it. Or like when she was at the Daily Alana, she just like called up the New York Times and asked if they needed a correspondent from Urbana. So suddenly like the, the New York Times had disproportionate amount of coverage of um, Champagne Urbana. I guess. So these very high thinking really big that often we don't do. It was like yeah, a huge tragedy that, that I saw her as the most before as the most envied person I, I knew. And then she called me one day and sounded really strange. And then she had, then she committed suicide a few days later. So, so I wanted to figure out what happened, but it also relates to my other writing where I read about a lot of women's health issues. So, so there was a lot about mental illness and, and the stigmas around it. And then also I, I was afraid to write it and like go crazy because um, it, it, it seemed like like with, with her writing about very tough issues that had affected her that way. But um, a lot of the last part of the book is about how as journalists, it's still important to write about tough topics like I did with the Iris book, but to have self-protections. Like in, in other fields where people deal, deal with hazardous situations, they have precautions. Like if you're a firefighter, you have like, you have a, a fireproof um, suit to put on. And, and often people who are social workers get, get training and how to deal with their own personal trauma. So a bigger issue of that is the importance of self-care as a journalist, which we never got. And, and it seems like what, what I saw from the panel of the recent grads, the Friday night before the banquet, it, it seems like that's more of a topic now being discussed. So yet she, she never knew how to say no to anything or her, her health was not even a, a top priority. So I wanted to write this, encourage people to not avoid those topics. We need people to cover rough topics, but to have some precautions in place and recognize the potential harm of that, you know, but it's not just nothing. Yeah. A really important topic, and I agree. I think it's being talked about more now than it ever has before, thanks to, like you say, the the couple generations after yours that have really pushed these sort of social movements into action. So I said earlier, Finding Iris Chang is probably your best known work, but oftentimes I find that writers like work that you know isn't as popular, or uh, you know you put a lot of work, and your your favorite one that you've ever done isn't the one that people know you for. So I wanted to ask you of all the things that you've done, all the writing and all the products that you've created, which one means the most to you? Which one was your favorite? Which one maybe uh, has the most impact, at least to yourself? Uh, yeah, probably the most meaningful one was I wrote, it's part memoir and part journalistic report and part black comedy called All in My Head about battling like a 15-year migraine. So yeah, my 20s, I started, it's often an, a time of onset for not not fun things. And, and I started to get migraines every day. And then I just had um, a crazy journey to try to, it seems like it's just simple thing, but it's actually very hard to treat, it's very complicated. And I thought I was like the only one with such a problem. And it was like this epic journey where I would try basically anything We you're so desperate. So that was meaningful in all the emails I got from readers saying, oh, I always thought that I was the only one with this. I showed it to my, my family, thought that I was a freak. And now um, they're believing me because of your book. And, and, and once again, like addressing stigmas that I was an early person to speak out about, about migraine or chronic pain 
because you know, for decades it was considered psychosomatic that if, if you say that you have chronic pain it means that you want attention or you're neurotic or whatever so that i think also influenced some other authors to speak out and just being so meaningful and being able to to reduce people's suffering of guilt and shame i, I can't do that much for the actual physical pain but i feel like yeah i was able to help address that help to jumpstart some more dialogues about that and about women's movement and and its relationship to anything negative with the body that that in, in the 70s they were basically celebrating the body as great that it had been put down by the patriarchy as weak and in pain so i trying to start dialogue about how you could see both yeah that that, that women are, are more likely to get chronic pain but it doesn't mean that you don't deserve to go to college or for same opportunities so just a more complex conversation yeah and some solace for the people that experience that in having it talked about you mentioned the comments that you received from it and that's really excellent to hear I wanted to ask you, I asked earlier sort of things that you learned at the DI that you brought into the career, but what things did you learn as a professional that you wished you had known uh, at the DI? Maybe things that you might give as advice to current students. I, I have two pieces of, of advice that might sound contradictory. So so there's the advice to, to think big and feel a sense, or I saw a lot of people who graduated you know, from Ivy League schools who are writing about what I did, in, they, they felt this much bigger sense of entitlement to speak out and go far with their career. So, so to together, you know, the paying dues is important, but also um, it's good to think big. Uh, but then at the same time, um, you have to also know your limit um, and and know when to say no to things. And um, because because with being a writer in the long term, you can't. I, I couldn't. I I tried to sustain how I was on the daily line, which was almost no sleep and like going 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 and then yeah my 20s I got I got chronic pain which which was not caused by that but but basically you have more limits as you get older and you can't get away with with that so so it takes basically a long distance run where, where you have to pace yourself and not burn out like in your 20s and there's so many people who leave journalism in their 20s because they've just totally burned out so yeah it's, it's a very tough to have a balance of being ambitious and uh, you're thinking big but then also knowing that it's like a long distance marathon and you have to pace yourself i see that all the time and students today still of, you know, trying to get every internship, but sometimes making the choices is more important. Um, I wanted to end on sort of an outlook, stereotypical, I guess, but uh, what can we expect next from Paula Kamen? Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I wrote, I always wanted to write comedies. So now I'm writing plays that have both comedy and serious issues in them, like blending everything. So, so I just had a, a comedy that I wrote, it was just named as a finalist for a festival for the um, Eugene O'Neill Playwright Center in Connecticut. So, um, so I'm happy about that, that, that I'm waiting to see if it gets picked for, for, for development there. But, but, uh, but, but it, it was named a finalist, so that may help me in, in getting it produced. So that's what I'm gonna concentrate on. And then write more, um, dramedies, yeah, more more comedies with um, serious issues to sort of yeah, you blend all this in all this lifelong work into one 
into one product. And not an easy task to to make important things funny. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it, it, we do need more comedy in the world. That, that often you go to theater, it's just so bleak and depressing and horrible. So, so yeah, yeah, we need more comedy. And also, I think there's a lower bar for comedy. People are desperate for it, so I don't have to write like the masterpiece of the comedy. Well, Paul Kamen, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I really appreciate you taking the time. It was great to get to hear your story and from your own point of view. 